Poor Lily. Yeah, I mean, she's got on that. Okay, stop. You've been saving that up for two weeks? Oh my gosh. It's not two weeks. We've been gone a month and a fortnight, it feels like. Welcome back to Mystery Mystery Maniacs. Mystery Maniacs is a comedy recap podcast dedicated to mystery TV. Each week we dig into an episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, and everything else we love. This week, Murdoch Mysteries, Season 2, Episode 6, Shades of Grey, what was formerly known as the abortion episode, which is now renamed the glaring typewriter mistake episode. Only in Markville. (laughs) There's so many more things to talk about. Before we get to the episode, though. We have a million things to talk about. It has been two weeks. No, no. And of course. It has been 24 days. A gazillion things have happened. First of all. We forgot to mention, what, three, four times when we had the opportunity? Yep. That when we did the Maniac Trivia. On the 29th of July. That was five million months ago. 24 days ago. It was our four-year podcasting anniversary. With 200,000 views on YouTube and over 335,000 downloads, I would safely say we are well over 500,000 listens. Yeah, that's crazy. We have published 198 episodes. Well, audio snippets. That includes minis in the trailers. Okay. And this is episode 174. And if you take the episode length of 65 minutes per episode, which some episodes are longer, some episodes are shorter, you get 11,310 minutes of content. (laughs) Or roughly how many hours? Uh, enough hours to fill up an entire week, more than seven days. Wow! So you could listen to us nonstop for seven twenty-four days. hours a day for seven days. Yep, and still have a little bit left over if you yes. listen to the mini episodes afterwards. Yes. <laughs> In four I'm e- sorry we've inflicted that much on everybody. <laughs> four years is two hundred and twelve <laughs> weeks, which means we take roughly. Three and a half weeks off a year. I simultaneously feel like we just started doing this podcast and that we've always done it. It's one of those feelings. I think we'll have more of those feelings because of the pandemic. Yeah. It's just part of our routine now. And it's so much fun. It's the highlight of my week. And it's so pandemic related to me. I forget that we did it for almost a year before the pandemic. Oh, yeah. Back in the before days. In other notes, if you happen to listen to us on Stitcher... If that's your podcatcher of choice and you haven't heard, Stitcher's going away at the end of August. Yeah. They're um, part of the XM network and they're being absorbed like the Borg. So the app won't exist anymore. I am a big Stitcher user. And so I have spent the last few months trying out various other uh, applications. My favorite right now is Pocket Cast. But, you know, it's what you get, whatever you get used to. So if you don't listen to us on Stitcher, you don't have to care about that at all. But you can find us just about anywhere. So Yes, absolutely. Including the YouTubes. And don't forget to like and subscribe. Yeah. Speaking of the YouTubes and the internets. Uh, A couple of things. One, we had a, a listener ask us, a very astute listener. Yes. Ask us whether or not Winter was dressed as the same superhero character 
as in Midsummer that Troy Troy had the comic secretly out. read the comics of and hid them in the Financial Times. Yes, so Troy read a comic secretly in a very mm-hmm. early episode, uh, Market for Murder, mm-hmm. and then there's the but he he read Hawkman, the Hawk, the Hawk, and, and then later winter, there's a case that happens at a comic con, yeah. and Winter cosplays. As Eagle Man. So they are not the same, but... It's a good catch. They have the same colors, the same brown and yellow Yeah, colors. and they're both birds. So yeah. I can. I never wondered that, but I can see why that listener wondered, and I think it was a good question. Yeah, it was a super good question, because that's the kind of crossover they do. Mm-hmm. Speaking of cosplaying and fakery, there are fake Yannick Bassans all over the place, apparently, trying to scam people. Especially on Instagram. He posted about it. That first of all, he's never going to ask anyone for money, which I Yannick totally Bassan, agree. who plays Murdoch, doesn't need our money. No, he's got plenty. <laughs> and he says, if you want to give anybody money, you should be choosing one of his favorite charities, which he listed off on yeah. his IG profile as something to give money for. But if some Yannick Bassan on Instagram starts saying, hey, baby, I like you. Give me some money. Be suspicious. Not that all of you are not attractive enough for Yannick Bassan to think that you're beautiful or handsome or whatever, Something. I'm sure. Yeah, but he's not He's not really there. We have great that. listeners. <laughs> we, we had a listener who I posted a reel this week on Instagram saying we'd be back and then covering a couple of other things. And a listener, Elves and Knights, said, oh, it's my birthday when the next episode is. So happy birthday, Elves and Knights. Happy birthday. We also did a birthday request. We had, we had a, a, an individual's contact us who was One of our son. listeners' son emailed us and said, hey, would you mind recording a message from my mom for her birthday? She really loves your podcast. And I just thought that was the best thing kid thing well he's an adult but like that's such a good kid to know what your mom likes and think to ask and it's like we have to do it so we recorded a little happy birthday video for her and she's also a trivia night winner yeah so we had a that trivia night was super successful it was fun we had a blast doing it we're definitely doing it again yep uh, we had four winners. We handed out T-shirts to, to the winners, and they've and they've they've been sent. They're all in the on mail. their way. Yep, you should expect them within a week of hearing this episode, I would guess. And then on top of it all, Instagram now has a feature called broadcast channels. Mm-hmm. So we have a broadcast channel called the Mystery Maniac Alley. Mm-hmm. So what it is is you get information from us because it's not a two-way communication it's just broadcast it's broadcast but only other members of the alley can see it yep like behind the scenes stuff yes and pictures of all of so this is a new thing for us it's a new thing for instagram so we've just been kind of experimenting with it a little bit posting little random things we would love to know what you would like us to post about. If you yep. want to see behind the scenes, if you want to see photos, if you want to know, you know, what topics we're looking at for the next episode or anything like that, just send us some ideas. Send us a, a message and uh, let us know. Like a direct message to us. Which On Instagram. Yeah. Is absolutely fine if you want yeah. to do that. I already answered some questions that we had. So. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, we should mention that we're really busy now. <laughs> We always say that, but man, the last two weeks, I'm 
we could not have planned better to take two weeks off. It was like the universe went, oh, you're not recording a podcast? Let me fill that void. Yes. Like the void in my tooth that rotted out and I had to go to the emergency doctor. Mark had a tooth that broke and then like turned black and it, it was, like overnight. It, it was, was horrible. Just you not, poor thing. Not good. One no. of our kids literally had a cancer scare. Thank yep. goodness it is it is not cancer. We've had biopsies yep. and all that stuff. Yep. But I spent a good two weeks being absolutely terrified. Yep. Not knowing what was going to happen. That's all. It's all okay now. Gen Con, a major release at work, a kickstart. Like, it just goes on and on. <laughs> it's been a little crazy. But I'm so happy to be back recording the podcast. Oh, a good thing that we can put on the broadcast channel is some secret Halloween pictures. For, oh, yeah. Uh, like, in-process pictures. Because I'm in full crazy Halloween oh, mode now. Oh, we're in full crazy Halloween mode. Never mind the fact that I have to go home in October. We have... And this is not an exaggeration. Two, two, 13-foot skeletons in our dining room right now. <laughs> in the boxes. In the came. boxes still. Yes, they're still in the boxes, which I think are probably bigger than the skeletons will be. They're like four by four by four. They're, they're ginormous. Ginormous boxes. Our dining room is completely filled with skeletons. <laughs> Never mind the fact that we have four in the podcast studio yeah, also. Sitting right not 12-foot ones. No. They're just regular skeletons. <laughs> Because, you know, that's normal. And the 60 pumpkins we have in the <laughs> other room. Ah, okay. Somebody at work the other day was like, are you guys getting ready for Halloween? I'm like, dude. <laughs> okay. It's August and Sarah's been working on it since February. Yes. Yes. We're getting ready. You could say that. Okay. Speaking of getting ready, this is Shades of Grey. Yeah. Original timestamp this. You can put in a note in that says, if you don't care about Sarah and Mark and what's going on in their <laughs> nutsy bobo lives, you can just skip to that point in the timestamp to actually lives. hear about Murdoch. <laughs> the last two weeks, there have been more nights, I think more than 15 nights, than that we got to bed and we're like, I am too exhausted to turn off the light. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure everybody listening has had times like that yeah. too. Hopefully when you're having a crazy time like that, maybe having a random Mystery Maniacs episode to listen to lightens your Like load two a or three bit. people said we were super funny on, on the Facebook this week. That's like, nice. It's very nice. Funny but we're looking. just be we're just funny smelling, <laughs> but we're just what we are. <laughs> this is what you get. <laughs> Stinky people <laughs> with microphones. It's not Stinko Vision, Stinko Pod though, so that's okay. okay. Okay, Shades of Gray. Let's talk about it. Originally broadcast March tenth, two thousand nine. Directed by Don McBerty, and I think you're not going to be surprised. Written written by a young woman named Laura Phillips. Let us deal with the elephant in the room right up front. Okay, we're just going to say this. This is a heavy episode. It has to do with the legality of abortion and the burdens that women unfortunately still have in getting good medical care. It's a heavy topic. This is not a heavy podcast. We acknowledge the importance of the topic, but we're not going to dwell on it because we're here to give you a little bit of fun. Yep, and if you listen to us for more than five minutes, you will be well aware of where we sit on this debate. And it's We don't even, even need to talk about it. Don't even need to talk about it. There's so much to pick on and make fun of and love and laugh about in this episode, and that's what we're going to focus on. Like eye blood. 
<laughs> Poor Lily. Yeah, I mean, she's got on that. Okay, stop. She's got on that pretty lavender dress. Yep. And her eyes are just shooting blood. She's not doing well. Do you she... know what they call it when your eyes bleed? Specifically, when you when you uh, when you tear when your tears are bloody. Because it's tears, isn't it? Yes. That's a, what's happening? To yes. Her. Do you know what it's called? No. Other than really bad. Blood of my tears. It's called hemolacria. Things I don't want to happen to me. No. Hemolacria, which I think sounds like a character from an old Greek play. Why is there no Swedish heavy metal band? Called hemolacria. (laughs) Oh, hemolacria. You must marry this guy over here. (laughs) Antonio or something. (laughs) I don't know. Hematoma. Hematoma. Hematoma and hemolacria must get married. Yeah, she's uh, not doing well. <laughs> no. And other than the guy who stumbles into her and says, pardon me, nobody seems to care. No one cares. And certainly. Is that how Toronto is? Is the, that how Canadians are? The biggest person that doesn't care is Bixby. <laughs> Gosh, her boss. We'll get to him. And mm. his incorrect typewriter. Statement. Meanwhile, Julia has purchased a present for Murdoch. Okay, before that, Murdoch is looking at pictures. Yes. And he is looking at pictures on a light table. Yes. Which hasn't been invented yet. (laughs) But it's not like a big leap. Like, once you've got transparencies of film, you would know, well, shining light through these helps. Movie projectors already exist. They're not broadly adopted, but they exist. If you've ever held something up to a window, I don't think, I'm not making a big deal out of that. The first electrically lit light table was patented in 1915. Okay, but it's Murdoch. He invents stuff. This is an anachronism. By Dick, who was then bought by Edison. So a lot of the early... Oh, I thought you were just insulting somebody. No, no. no. (laughs) That was the name of the company? Yep. A.B. Dick. It's called a mimeoscope. And that's a bad name. Yeah. It's a light box. Yeah, it's a light box. Somebody was trying to be fancy. They used to have like Dick and Edison on the top of them. Speaking of Dick, can I tell my New Zealand story or my give my New Zealand quip? Because I'm wondering if we have anybody in New Zealand who listens. They might be able to help us with this. <laughs> We've been trying to figure out New Zealand accents. People are bracing for what I'm about to say. <laughs> like, where is she going with this? I've been listening to a lot of New Zealand podcasts yes. lately, and I've noticed this little idiosyncrasy in their accent that the word decade, as in 10 years, decade, and, and dickhead, as in an insult, dickhead. sound exactly the same <laughs> with a New Zealand accent. And it's, it's not that it's confusing because you don't normally have the context where it could be either one of those words. But if you keep calling somebody a decade, like... (laughs) If you're from New Zealand, we apologize. 10 years, 10 years, you're such a 10 years. Anyway, they sound exactly the same. Anyhow. Kissy, um, kissy, is this a kissing show? Oh, yeah. Yes. Well. well, Until it turns to Dumpsville. (laughs) Yes. This episode is a bit kissy and then it's not. No, no. But this, like, we will now finally acknowledge that we are a couple and I will kiss you when I see you. Yeah. And find excuses to kiss you. Yeah. Like, that's Aww. sweet. And but she he, has a present. But he works in a glass office. Well, he has the windows closed so that no he one can sees block his out dick mimeoscope. <laughs> <laughs> I went a long way for that joke. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes, she has purchased Murdoch a Collins bullet extractor. She says, I saw it and I couldn't, I just couldn't help myself. Where was she shopping? I'm immediately thinking, what store is this in? It's not like next to the lipstick. Well, and there's a... There's kind of a, a trope later on in the show that Julia shops in these hard-to-reach, unknown, secretive shops. But they're like hardware stores yes. kind of places. Yes. Like, today she was just at the Ladies Surgical Implement Emporium <laughs> or something. Look, checking out this year's model of the rib spreaders. Yes. And then she just happened to see this new bullet extractor sitting right next to it. And it was an impulse buy, you know. So Collins bullet extractors were created in the Civil War because a lot of people got shot. So they needed to remove a lot of bullets. Do you know what the original name of the bullet extractor was? Um, Mimeo light no. pull, pull a bullet ouchie machine? No. <laughs> a bullet scoop. Yeah, because they were spoons. Yeah, they're spoons. Yeah. They're really Because they were spoons. pulling shot. Yeah. Right? Not a bullet. Yeah. That has a, a, you know, a shape. It was just lead shot. Well, now that Henry knows there's kissing, everybody knows there's Everybody kissing. knows. It's like a whole place is blushing and batting their eyelashes. Boy, the first scene of this when they find the body is, I'm a new director and I wish to show my director chops. So I will do silhouettes. I will do bird's eye view. I will do turny camera stuff. Well, it is a drainage ditch. Yes. Poor Lily has been dumped naked in a drainage ditch. That's not Lily. That's Freddie Pink. It's Freddie Pink. If you've seen any more of Murdoch other than season two, in season nine, this actress, Alex Peyton Beasley, comes back and plays a woman private detective named Freddie Pink. Who is fantastic. She's I awesome. Love, I love Freddie Pink. She's in a bunch of episodes. Yeah. But you recognize her right away. Yeah. But Julia just thinks, hey, naked body. Let me manhandle her or woman handle her. <laughs> Person handle She's her. got nothing on except a bracelet. Yeah. Look at her thighs. <laughs> she just, I'm, I'm glad that they have a female coroner on this show because otherwise as a, a woman actress having to play a corpse who's nude yep. and manhandled and a man's manhandling you, it, I think that would be much more uncomfortable than to have Julia Ogden groping you and lifting your limbs and going, look how floppy she is. She's, She's so floppy. floppy. <laughs> She's got no blood in her body, no nope. water in her lungs. And no. Nope. She's recently lost a baby. But it wasn't forced. She wasn't forced. Nope. That's what her, her mom wants to know. Murdoch talks to, talks to the mom, and I'm sitting there looking at the shots going, why is there no over-the-shoulder shot here? Somebody's being a good director. We were just criticizing the director no, for no. He's, being too dramatic, and now you're saying... He does a good job. Oh, okay. Now, there's something here that happens at the end of the scene that a Canadian would pick up that an American wouldn't pick up. The scene with Lily's mom, Bertha? Yes. Okay. So... In the, in, in the morgue or in the police station? In the police station. Okay. She says she didn't want to go to the doctor because it would be too expensive. Right, because this is before nationalized healthcare. And Murdoch kind of has this look on his face, and I'm not reading into this because I definitely know this is what this is because they do this again later on. They kind of wink, wink at the camera and go, and this is why we have healthcare and we're not stupid Americans. Yeah. Aren't like, you glad? You live in a country with healthcare mm -hmm. now. 
So you don't have to make decisions like Lily did and like, end up bleeding from your eyes. They do it later on. Like, I think I, I know there's a scene where George goes, wouldn't it be amazing if everybody had just had health care? Yeah. Like, clearly that is being said. It's a wink, wink, nod, nod. Yeah. And then the next scene, which oh. should all be referred to as the typewriter scene. No. Yes. It's assholes and ascots. Yeah. Well, he. Okay. Bixby. As soon as you see him, before he even speaks, you're like, that man's a jerk. Yes. He's, he's got, definitely he, a jerk. He's got the asshole ascot on. Yes. And talks about his secretary, who is right there in the next room, like in the same room, like arm's distance, talks about her like she's not there. So this is- I the- had to fire her because she couldn't keep up. Yep. God forbid somebody just have one off day. You just let them go. Yep. And- I'll, I would have been fired from so many jobs. I'll explain that in the typewriter rant <laughs> when I get there. <laughs> this is obviously discussing what's happening in 1890s North America and Europe, which is women are going into the workplace for the first time. They go to secretarial college. Unfortunately, they get hypersexualized, and the notion of a secretary being in an affair with their boss becomes this trope. It's horrible. It's it is a way that toxic masculinity rebelled against women coming into the workplace. Unfortunately, I think it was probably accurate. Yeah. In lots of cases. I, I agree with because all of Because these them. are workplaces where men were not used to having women present. And as soon as the women were there, they were like, oh, a toy for me. What they do really well in this scene is you get a sense of office and you only ever see two people. Yeah. And part of that is the typewriter noise going on in the background. Mm-hmm. Never mind. It's the wrong typewriter. It's the wrong typewriter, Mark. Tell us about why it's the wrong typewriter. Okay. You're dying to do this. <laughs> he says it is a Crandall new model. Basically saying he's purchased a new typewriter for the office and Lily couldn't adapt to the new machine. Now, so she was too slow, right? That's why he's saying that. This is a completely new keyboard. Okay. So this is understandable that this would happen. Is it QWERTY? No, it's not QWERTY. That's the thing. She probably used a typewriter that was QWERTY and then switched to this one that wasn't QWERTY. And was it with the intent of slowing typists down? No, it was fewer keys because it has this amazing finger-like cylinder that all the all the uh, text is on. Instead of having arms that go up. And like a Selectric typewriter that came out in the 60s. Or a laser, one of the, um, not laser printers, but the um, plot printers. Plot printers. Yeah. So if you wanted to change the font, you just took the cylinder off and put a new one on, which was impossible with other typewriters. Yeah, you couldn't replace the font without replacing all of the arms connected to every letter. On top of it, it is incredibly beautiful typewriter. It is very pretty. It has like flowers on the top of it is because it's for ladies. It's Mark. clearly meant as a machine to be used by ladies. Mm-hmm. The typewriter she is typing on is not a Crandall new model. I don't think they could probably afford a Crandall new model. They would they would rent it right from a collector. Possibly that's what they do with old cars and stuff. Clearly, she is typing on a Bixeldurfer six. Bixeldurfer. Blixen Durfer. Blixen Durfer? Yes. She is clearly <laughs> typing 
<laughs> on a Blixender for six. Is that one of the reindeer? I think so. Go Rudolph, go Vixen, go Blixender for <laughs> Blixender. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So have we nerded out? No, 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 no. No, no, There's more. No, no. So that typewriter, the Blixendurfer, the Blixendurfer is is it's not as pretty, but it is still nice. I like it. It is a QWERTY keyboard. Okay. So his comment that she could not keep up uh-huh. with the new technology is kind of okay. Okay. If he had actually shown the new technology. Because it, because it would have been, I mean, okay, so we, we if you don't know, we say QWERTY keyboard because if you look where your right hand sits on a keyboard, it's Q, it's Q W E R T Y, and that spells QWERTY, and that is the shorthand for that arrangement of letters on a keyboard. Which we all have and on there have phone been, and everything. Right, there have been times in history where the letters were arranged in other ways, like alphabetical or all of the um, vowels were together and the consonants were on the other side of the keyboard and different things to either slow people down to prevent typewriters from locking up yep. or to allow them to go faster, yep. one or the other. And the Crandall typewriter was there so that was had a different keyboard because the cylinder needed to be fit differently and the engineering made it so that you could switch the cylinder up. So you had to press sh- each key on the... Crandall had three purposes. It had the uppercase, the lowercase, and then another symbol. I was like texting on an old phone where you had to press the number to kind get of. the new it, the letters. It's not an easy <laughs> thing to type on. So the Burke, uh, Blickus and Durfer 6, mm-hmm. absolutely con- concurrent with the time both these typewriters are. How much do you think that was? In then money? Yeah. $12. 50 Wow, you could buy a car for that. Which would be the equivalent of $1,800 today. Shazam. That's a a newfangled computer she's using. The Crandall is $70 or or roughly equivalent to $2,500 today. These were top of the line machines. They're absolutely like the latest computer. Well, I am confident that Bixby only purchased it so he could brag about it and not because he actually wanted any kind of efficiency or modernization. He's a jerk. I absolutely agree. And this ends the typewriter portion of the radio show. He buys bracelets for all of of his secretaries. Yeah. Because it's like a sign of ownership because he has an affair with every one of his secretaries. It's Dr. Tash, not Trask. Which is weird. He's from the rowing episode. Yes. So Julie He's from the infamous walk in the woods with Murdoch. Yes. Talking about skinny dipping or something. Yes. And we all think that him and Dr. Ogden have had something go on while they were in Montreal at school. Right. But it wasn't a relationship. They weren't dating. We'll We'll learn that later. find out they were just really good friends. He has a giant tooth poster in his office. Like he's a dentist. When Murdoch and George leave, Murdoch, it's a great scene because George is like, isn't he the guy who like loves Julia and Julia loves him? And Murdoch's like, we have to go right now. Isn't he the doctor that Dr. Ogden made out with when they were in college? Kind of like you guys do now, but we look away when you do it. Murdoch does such a great job of being jealous and I could care less because there are two posters behind them. When they exit his office... The first poster is frightening. It's so creepy. It's a little girl with a skipping rope. I could find nothing about this poster. 
It's not a skipping rope. It's grot. <laughs> the way she looks, she is so creepy holding She's that jumping rope. Super creepy. Like, I'm going to strangle you with this, she, mommy. She, Her face kind of looks like the Guy Fox mask. Well, it's one of those colorized photos. So it's yep. a black and white that's been painted over to add color to it. And it's done very poorly. So she looks really scary. The other poster really confused me. Because it talks about the royal family at a cricket ground. Okay. Including the queen. I was like... Victoria's dead. This is weird. And then there's a date on the poster, 1886. Oh, it's old. So it's old. Yeah. So it's 10 years before. I'm like, what is this a poster for? I had no idea this thing happened. And it is super interesting. Why did they have a 10-year-old poster hanging up? I think mostly because I imagine these things. The set dressers of the episode. Don't expect people like us. <laughs> don't expect people like us and intentionally put that poster back there. Okay. Because what happened was in the 1870s, a bunch of English Canadians and a bunch of Iroquois Indians, who are probably more Canadian than they are, than they are went to England to show them lacrosse. Oh, because lacrosse was invented by Native Americans. 13 Canadians from Montreal Lacrosse Club and 13 Native Canadians from the Chinanawaga Reservation. They went to Belfast, Dublin, Glasgow, Edinburgh, Newcastle, Sheffield, London, seven locations in London, Brighton, Bristol, and Manchester. That's quite the tour. 27 games over 52 days. And they just did demonstration games of lacrosse. Yep. And the queen came out and saw it. That's awesome. That's a, there's she, a story there. She said it was an interesting game. I there's a story there. Yeah, like like what happened on that tour bus? Like <laughs> you can obviously like tell a story of racism. You can tell a story. Like there's so many things that you could tell a story about mm-hmm. with this story. So I'm going to look into that further. I've read stuff about First Nations people teaching colonists how to yeah. play lacrosse yeah. and how they introduce them to the game yeah. and how it was one of the things that they kind of could get together about. And they used it sort of as a as a way to like rough out, like smooth out corners of relationships. You know, they would bring people together to play a big game yeah. of lacrosse. I, I had no idea they went on tour. I need to do more research about this event because it's an incredibly interesting event. That is just on a poster in the background that's not Thank you, set dressers, for telling us about this important event in history. Speaking of set dressers, Dr. Tash has some big old teeth in his Jeez, in his that's office. a big nasty teeth poster. I was like, that's the tooth that died in my face. <laughs> he will not tell Murdoch anything about Lily because he's claiming doctor-patient confidentiality. Yes. But Lily is dead. Yes. And I wondered, is there still a confidentiality clause if the patient is dead? And there is. Oh, there is? To this day. Wow, I didn't know that. HIPAA applies up to 50 years after you're dead. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. They can share anonymized data for like research purposes, but anything that would actually identify you as an individual cannot be shared for at least 50 years after you die. So he would need a subpoena, basically, to get that information. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, it's important. Other professions need to have that, like your barber. The same thing is true of lawyers as well. Yeah. 
even if you're dead, they can't just give away your private information and share it. I could only think that it would harm the family. It's just, it's private. It doesn't make sense. No. So they go back to Lily's house. Yep. With Bertha, her mom, who seems very sweet. Yes. And they look in her room and it smells of bug repellent. Yes. Which is like a camphor, like um, mothballs. Yep. But they find her diary. Well, is it her diary? Because George astutely notices <laughs> that it is pretty vanilla. It's easily found in the top drawer of her dresser. Yep. And she probably keeps it because her mom's nosy. Yep. And she wants to tell her mom what she wants her mom to know. And that maybe there are other things she doesn't want her mom to know. And George says that he had a secret diary when he was a kid. What is in George's secret diary? So for those of you who are relatively new to Murdoch, you don't know that, and I'm not ruining anything, that George was raised in Newfoundland. He was an orphan raised by a house full of women who were wonderful to him and raised him very well and were kind to him. Who he called his aunties. His aunties, who all have the names of flowers. Yes. Like Aunt Lily and Aunt Daffodil. Yes. And they are prostitutes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't think he knew until maybe... It's a later episode where he puts two and two together. Yes. So I can just imagine his childhood diaries like... Dear Diary, today I learned where babies come from, but I can't tell any of my aunts because they are too delicate to know such information. Well, and, <laughs> and all sorts of George weirdness, like today I went down to the harbor and saw the mermaids again. Yes. <laughs> I saw the Sasquatch again in the woods. He said to say hi to Aunt Lily, you know? Because, like, <laughs> again, you find out later that he's into all kinds of, you know, alternative conspiracy aliens and criminals and all kinds of stuff. This is this may be. I would pay to read that diary. <laughs> this, yes, this may be my favorite George scene in the first two seasons because George is a good detective in this episode. Yeah, he's also respectful and knowledgeable about women. Yeah, because when they find Countess Fausta's pills, yeah, he says, "Well, maybe this is having to do with the monthly thing." Like no, he calls it a monthly flow. George knows yep. what he's talking about. Yeah. Well, he was raised by a house of women. Yes. Again, we have to remember that. Countess Flausters, female regula regulators, they do what a woman needs done. That kind of label was everywhere on quackery oh, medicine yeah. back then. Absolutely. And it was all like this vague language. Yeah. They do what a woman needs done. Yeah. Like Get a jump rope and take care of business. I <laughs> <laughs> a lacrosse match. I didn't know a pill could do that. That's amazing. We'll put the picture of the scary girl with the, the skipping rope in the show notes. When Julia takes a look at the medicine to see what's in it, she says there's rue, savin, cottonwood bark, and black cohosh in it. Yeah. And yes, they are all known in- Abortificients. In- it should be a abortifactant in okay. herbal medicine. Um, but And I looked them all up. The only one that had anything remotely interesting in terms of its medical use yeah. was Savin. Yeah. I have to just read this to you. Okay. According to gardenherbs.org, <laughs> I quote, 
The stimulating virtues of savin befit it for cleansing carbuncles and for benefiting baldness. Okay, so blisters and baldness. baldness. When mixed with honey, it has removed freckles with success. <laughs> The leaves, dried and powdered, serve when applied to dispel obstinate, warty excrescence about the genitals. Oh! So you have to dry the leaves, mix them with honey, and smear them on your naughty bits to get rid of warts. <laughs> I think that's going to introduce other problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You may not have those warty excrescences anymore, but now you got... Sticky junk. And it's important to remember, we have had a tough two weeks, but we have not had the toughest two weeks. We didn't have to use this honey salmon potion. Please note, we are not advocating any of these uses of this no. herb. Okay? No. <laughs> Just put that in there a little bit. But I love cleansing carbuncles and benefiting baldness. Yes. Like, what, is a, what, what does it mean to benefit baldness? Maybe you get a little stubble back, I guess. But that would be. I wouldn't be know with my long, lush locks. head of hair. That would be benefiting hair growth. Yeah. So. Not baldness. But not benefiting baldness. No, like it's pro baldness. I demand to see the Russian ambassador. Yes, because Countess Festa is drug into the police station. But her real name is Sally Smoot. I, this is just so well done. No wonder she goes by Countess Festa. Oh, she turns around and sees Brackenrig and knows the gig is up. Hello, Tommy. Yeah, he's like Immediately Sally switches Smoot. to the... What I love, she's a great actress. Mm -hmm. So you know... Right away, that Russian accent is fake. Yes. And then she switches right to a really good Irish accent. Mm -hmm. Like, she's a great actress. She's played by Mary Walsh. She's been in lots and lots of things. Yeah. But she yeah, reappears as this character, too. But, like, Brackenreed has her number. He has encountered her before. Oh, so she just, boy. <laughs> she just drops the act right away. So she's Countess Fausta. She's also known as the Countess of Sumac Street. Yes. Right? And fake royalty is a con that goes way, way back. There was a king of San Francisco. Yeah. Well, yeah. and there's certainly lots of people who have claimed to be lost members of royal families like Anastasia Oh, and stuff he was like king that. of America and lived in South America. Yeah. Uh, so, so she's Countess Fausta. What would your fake royal name be? Well, I think I would be Count. Mm, okay. Uh, and then I'm probably thinking maybe Mar Marcus Dorilius or something fun <laughs> like that. Count um, Marcus Hemolacria. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you might be Archduke Ardvark. Oh, I could be Archduke Ardvark. If uh, uh, we have not discussed this, <laughs> that you have that you used to be nicknamed Ardvark. My uh, two two my brother and his wife call me Ardvark. Mm -hmm. He's probably screaming at the, at the <laughs> podcast now that. <laughs> He's mentioned that I'm called Ardvark. But. I think I would be Viscountess Artemisia. Oh. Because Artemisia yeah. is one of my middle names. Yeah, that's a good one. Viscountess Artemisia. We need to have, that would be a good thing for your class to do is to make an old timey fake label. Yeah. Because they'd have to look at a bunch of old labels. Yeah, you're right. For graphic design. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you about a fake royal who you've probably never heard of. Okay. Uh, speaking of Countess Fausta, in the 1820s, there was this guy named Greg McGregor. You want to guess where he's from? Uh, would he be Irish? Scottish. Okay. Yes. Mac. McGregor. Mac yes. Gregor. Yes. yes. Um, he was a Scotsman who pretended to be the Kazik of Poyer. 
Oh, the Gazika Poye. Poye was a fake South American country that he invented. Oh, awesome. Now, how he pulled that off, I don't know. Because, you know, Greg McGregor definitely had red hair. <laughs> but he was from Poye in South yep. America. He fooled lots of people into investing in real estate in Poye. So this is a Prince of Nigeria scam. In 1822, a bunch of these investors got on a ship and sailed to South America to go start their new lives on their new real estate, found jungle and no Poye. No, <laughs> there is no Poye in South America. They were rescued, but only after 180 of them died of disease. Wow. There were that many of them wow. that 180 could die. Wow. And it wasn't even half of them. Wow. And of course, Greg McGregor was nowhere to be seen. Nowhere he was to long be gone. Long gone <laughs> with all of their money. All off going to be a Kazik of someplace else. I was like, man, what a racket. In two years, he did it. Yep. So speaking of con men, smooth Sally gives up. Yeah. Ralph Fitch. Another doctor who she says she has sort of referred young ladies to who are in need of abortion care. Yeah. Fitch is a complex character. He is. He. And he's a realistic character. He's sort of bad and sort of good. In the end, he's somebody who carries naked ladies around. But they're dead, so it's okay. Yeah. They're flippy flabby already. I would um, have thought he would have stole the bracelet, but then the plot couldn't move in the direction it did. Exactly. So Tash says that Fitch may have... Uh, no, sorry. Fitch says... Actually, it's not him that Tash, Tash. Uh, performs abortions. Tash being Ogden, Julia's And friend. then Sneaky Murdoch goes sneaking to Tash's house mm -hmm. and sees... Julia leaving. Hugging him. <gasps> dun, 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 dun. Jealousy. <laughs> Rage. <laughs> Murdoch gets angry in this he episode. He does. He does. Because... He gets the impression when he talks to Julia that she and Tash have compared notes and that she is now lying to him about how Lily died. That she died of parenchymal liver damage. And he thinks she's covering for Tash. I know our podcast demographics is mostly ladies. But to the men out there, I'm going to give you a little hint. Do not interrogate your girlfriend. <laughs> No. Well, he's right, though. He is right. He can't give her benefit of the doubt. Somebody's dead. He is right, but he could have dealt with it a little better. Okay, and he's, Murdoch is not high on the tact scale. He's new at this, okay? <laughs> he's not used to having a girlfriend. He's not used to having a girlfriend, but I'm just telling you that maybe this is not. He right. might have said, oh, I uh, happened to see you leaving Tasha's house. Yeah. I'm glad you guys are still friends. Did you talk about Lily? Are you lying about Lily? <laughs> are you covering up a murder? Those young people and their hunches. <laughs> Actually a term from the 1620s. Only if it's used as a thrusting motion. Yes. George is like, I have this hip new word. It's hunch. It means when you get like an intuitive idea. It's this new word with the kids. Like you just see all these like kids on the street with their little flat caps going hunch, hunch. Cool, daddy. Hunch. <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> George is down with and the kids. And, and it, it is so well written because it also has the air of 
George, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> He's using slang. Yep. The first time it's used in print, meaning an intuition or a premonition, is 1904, according to the Oxford English Dictionary. Yep. So he is ahead of his time with his yep. hunch. But he uses it like nine times in the sentence. <laughs> but he's right. Yes. He decides, you know what? This bracelet is not actually cheap. Maybe I should be going to different jewelry stores to ask about it. Finds just the right one, where a certain Mr. Bixby is having many of them made for all of his special ladies. There is a scene transition here. And in my notes, it is entitled Stomach Milk. <laughs> Stomach <laughs> Milk is so disgusting. <laughs> Julia is so upset that Murdoch has accused her of not looking at the stomach contents. She rushes right to the fridge. And rips the stomach out of a corpse, ties one side of it up with cotton twine, and then pours it into a glass. Stomach milk. Ew! It's like grayish pink. Blech. At least it's thin. Yeah. It's not like syrupy. It could be worse. It's not a very good rubber stomach. Yes. So that helps. <laughs> but she's still pouring it like a gravy boat. <laughs> you know, it's still. <laughs> she goes to Sally Smoot and they discuss things that women use to abort pregnancy. Not all of us were born with a silver spoon stuck up our arse. Yeah. <laughs> That's what she says to Julia. She does. <laughs> Well, Julia is super rich, remember? She comes from a very wealthy, fancy background. And Sally Smoot would be able to sniff that out immediately. Of course. Yeah. But once she realizes that Julia has not had a perfect life, she says, sit down. Sit down. And they talk and they have... And I, I like that Julia refers to her as the expert. She's yes. like, well, you're the doctor. And she says, yes, but you're the expert. Yeah, yeah And I absolutely. think she gets to Sally. Yeah, that way, and they're they're talking professional to professional. Yes. And she finds out about pennyroyal oil. Yes. Sounds like... Which is not good stuff. Bad business. Yep. Like, from my research, and like a drop from like a dropper into a glass of water is enough to make you really sick. Yep. So if you took a spoonful, yep. you may as well just take arsenic or something. Well, it causes you to inject blood from every orifice. Yeah. So I'm sure a side effect of that would be if you were pregnant, you would lose the baby. But you yes. would also bleed from your eyes and your ears and your nose and vomit blood and shoot it out of your nail beds and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> all kinds of bad things that should only happen in horror movies. Meanwhile, the ascot gets worse. Yes. She fell down the stairs after I fired her, so goodbye. Well, she threw herself down the stairs. Can you imagine? She did that at my place of work, yeah. at my business. How dare her? I'm, I'm, I'm torn because part of me wants him to be really guilty. Well, Miss Barnes, Binscarth stomps right out. That'll right teach up. him. He doesn't so, even seem to care. He's like, oh, what an inconvenience. Okay. So he is, in fact, based on what he says... Completely not guilty. He's not guilty of a legal crime. Yeah. He is morally Nor does he feel guilty about no. anything. No, no, no. I wish, part of me wishes Mrs. Billingsgirth came back and said, I saw him push her down the stairs. Miss Binscarth? Yeah. The typist? Yeah. 
Well, she would be called a typewriter. I know. She of the bracelet. Yes. Yes. But but I also like that it shows the hypocrisy that men get away with this crap all the time. Yeah. At this time, a woman who was caught trying to get an abortion could be sentenced to death. Yes. Now, what sense does that make? Yeah. But he can do what he's doing and there's no law against it. Yeah. Just. I told her mm. I didn't want to get married. I didn't want children. Yeah. So whatever happens is her fault. It's complete lack of responsibility of men. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. If he was a good person, he wouldn't be wearing that ascot. Yeah. Then Murdoch gets mad. There's not a lot that makes Murdoch angry. Like he 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 gets upset with injustice and he gets upset with unfairness. But for him to get actually physically violent, there's only a few things that do it. And one of those things is anybody who is violent against women. Yep. Murdoch's and like that. He's not having it. Yep. So though Bixby hasn't broken a law, that doesn't mean that he's okay in Murdoch's book. Yeah, and I also think like George and Henry might accidentally like arrest him for something. Or <laughs> cut his brake lines of his newfangled so, horseless carriage. Something. So he goes to Task and Task says, I do perform abortions, which is a big thing for him to say. Yeah. He's And he's only admitting that because he doesn't want Julia to get in trouble. And he says, if Lily had come to me, she'd be alive. Yeah. And Murdoch is stuck because the 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 gear goings on in Murdoch's head and the smoke coming out of his ears is really the last ten minutes of this yeah. episode. Moral conflict, moral conflict. <laughs> Yeah, he has a few Spock moments here. <laughs> yeah, he. I think he errs on the side of the greater good. Yeah, and but you don't. It's not clear in the moment for sure. Yeah, and I think this is where Murdoch gets really good because we get to see that complexity we see this le- later on even more. But, but we also a- get to see the flashback of Lily going to see. Dr. Fitch, yes. when she's bleeding from her eyes, her nose, her Everything. hair, everywhere. She looks like something from a horror movie. Yeah, so... With th- her bloody hands on the glass of his door. Yeah. It's terrifying. They're, they're, <laughs> I don't know if I would open the door if I was a doctor. <laughs> so during the week, and I mentioned this on the broadcast channel this week, Uh, During the week, I searched for pictures for the episode to use in the social media stuff. Mm -hmm. And I I found a picture of Murdoch when he's sitting beside Lily, basically comforting her. Oh, when he's imagining himself in Fitch's place. Yeah, he's imagining himself in Fitch's place. I was like, I can't use that picture. It's really good, but it's gross and it gives too much away. So in the end, we, we find out that she went to Fitch for help because she had taken the penny royal and she was dying and she died. There's nothing he could have done to save her. No. And so he thinks, I now I have to do something and with he, her body. It is completely legitimate for him to think I have to protect myself. Yes, because she's dead now. There's nothing no. I can do for her. But deciding to strip her naked and dump her in a drainage ditch it's doesn't make a much. lot of sense. It's a bit much. And yes. he should have taken her bracelet. To, because it would have made it look like a robbery. And he could have sold it because he needed money. Yeah, because he's got debts. He's got the debts. I think that he would be he would be worse if he took her bracelet. And they could have never solved the crime if he yes. took her bracelet. She would have been unidentified. Yes. Um, it, it is a little bit redeeming that he didn't. Yeah. But still, there are many things he could have done. He could have just said, she came to me and told me she had taken Penny Royal. 
I couldn't help her. Yeah, he could have told the truth. You know, but he didn't give it to her. He it, didn't tell her to take it. Yeah, it's understandable that he acts rashly and irrationally. But the act, I'm glad they didn't have a flashback of what he actually did. Stripping her down yeah, and taking yeah. her to the no, creek and no, stuff. No, no, no. We don't need that flashback. No. Then we have the bad scene at the end. The park. Where's the park? Where's Where's the town the park's in? They're in Toronto. No, they're in Dumpsville. <laughs> yes, you're right. Well, you know what? Neither of them is a bad person. No, but this is the first bump in a relationship. They, and- get, they get back together. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. We- <laughs> <laughs> if you care, they get back together. And she explains that Isaac didn't give her an abortion. No, but he saved he her saved life. Saved after. her life. Like I, that is such a good. Like everything is building to you thinking he performed an abortion on yeah. her, and at the very last minute, it's like no, he didn't do that. And it's his justification for doing them now. Yeah, because he saw what happened to somebody he cared about who had a, a bad, who had bad treatment, and how close she was to dying, and and swore, "I'm not going to let that happen." Yep. If it's in my power to do something about it, I'm going to. And now he does. And Murdoch says he's not going to press charges against him, which I think is Murdoch, his mind, his world growing. Yes. Because he sees more complexity there than just black and white, which is why the episode is called... Shades of Grey. Exactly. But... There's no, they have there's come. no shades of gray, gray <laughs> like 50 shades of gray. No, 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 that's completely different. Yes. But they have come to an impasse. Yeah. Right? She can't undo her history and he can't undo his ethics and his yeah. beliefs. Yeah. So there, there's no way around it. And this is a, a line that goes right to the present day of the ep, of the episodes. Mm-hmm. Like their relationships, their relationship revolves around A, her job and B, their ability and children. Yeah. Yeah. This is just the start of a long yeah. story. But right now- Dumptown has a population of oh, Murdoch. Yes. Well, I think Julia's really upset too. Oh, I think so. She hasn't dumped him. They they both know. She's just the one who gets up. I th- I think I think Murdoch is is that accidentally misogynistic nice guy in this scene where he thinks it's going to be okay now. Yeah. And he hasn't realized how much he's hurt her or how much his opinion of her actually will change. He just assumes that if he thinks he can just forget it, that yeah. it'll be fine. Yeah. And she knows better. And that's that's kind of accidental misogyny. Yeah. It's not toxic or anything. No, no, like no, 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 no. But but she doesn't want to be the exception. Yeah. And he's her. willing to make her the exception, but she knows that's not tenable. Long term no. it's not gonna work. No. So and great acting by both of them. So Dumpsville happened. Is fantastic. Meanwhile, Crabtree's in the back going, hunch, hunch, <laughs> hunch. <laughs> I got a hunch. And he's like, I saw them kissing. They're not kissing anymore. They're not kissing Ooh, anymore. It's drama. <laughs> well, we can't do best corpse because there's only one. And she's yeah, awesome. She's awesome. <laughs> as we have already said. After the credits. Tash gets to go on with his practice. Fitch is going to go to jail for interfering with a corpse. Yep. Bixby is going to keep going on and doing what he does. Well, hopefully Miss Bencarth like walks outside with a big sign that says, don't work here. I seem to and tells think all of her there friends are secretary several college. episodes in the future where this type of character gets his comeuppance. Yes. Maybe Bixby will accidentally choke himself with his ascot. Maybe. 
I have a horrible movie for oh, you. It's been too long since we've had a horrible movie. For I'm, a horrible movie. I'm ready for a horrible movie. This movie is so bad. <laughs> it's so bad. This one's from 1982. Ooh. This is in my wheelhouse. Ian D. Clark is in it, who plays Dr. Fitch in this episode. Okay. Here is a synopsis. Okay. A disgruntled phone company employee develops a device whereby those answering a phone can be murdered, and it's up to one man to stop the killer. This is everything about me. I know! Tagline, your phone can pierce your brain, explode your heart, and jolt you 10 feet in the air. The panic has just begun. Or... There's not enough power in a phone to do that. A madman pushes a button and kills by phone. Will you answer? Is it a touchstone button? Touchstone phone? Now I'm interested. I don't know. You'll have I'm to watch such the movie. A phone nerd. You haven't seen this okay, movie. It's not Dial M for Murder. No. Because that's a good movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I wouldn't be surprised if it plays on that notion. Would you like to know who stars in it? Yes. Richard Chamberlain. Oh my God, Richard Chamberlain. <laughs> This may be your new favorite movie. I I had such a boy crush on (laughs) Richard Chamberlain when I was a boy. My gosh. The the Three Musketeers movies with Raquel Welch and Shogun, I remember it well. Uh, Okay. You haven't seen it. I have not seen this movie. It is called Murder by Phone. Murder by Phone. (laughs) Yes. What's it about? In some places where it was released, it was called Bells. Bells. I guess because of the ringing of the phone. Maybe murder by phone. Murder by phone. Nineteen eighty-two. Oh, I need to see this movie. This is a point for me, and you can guess what Mark's going to do this afternoon. He's going to be watching Murder, murder by, by Phone. phone. Oh. <laughs> it has to have an t- amazing trailer. I'll you too to- can watch Murder by Phone if you can find it somewhere online, and let us know what you think about it. Yeah. All right. Murder by phone. Wow. What is season two, episode seven? Oh, boy. Do we have a treat. Okay. So, first of all, next Saturday, when we record on Saturdays, next Saturday is the 25th of August. Let me tell you, everything happens this day. Yes. It's a very busy day. we will also record. We will record Big Murderer on Campus. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Probably the best episode from season two. Okay. Most definitely the introduction of a fantastic character. Yes. It is all right back to goofy, fun, murdery Murdoch. Yep. This one's kind of heavy. The next one is not. It's not. It takes place at U of T. Mm-hmm. It's all sorts of UET stuff on it. And oh, oh, it's just so good. Okay. Then we have, we have four more episodes that will take us to, uh, sorry, we have six more episodes which will take us into October unless again now we got to we got to talk about this we it is probably imminent that we're going to hear about new midsummers mm-hmm. i would think in the next 45 days or less mm-hmm. we will hear about new midsummers so once we hear about new midsummers if we, we need will, to make adjustments to the schedule we'll to fit them in. To the schedule. And then after season two of Murdoch, we will do Father Brown season, season one. one. The new Father Brown. I don't know what episodes we're going to do because we've covered a couple of them already. Yeah. So we need we'll to do the ones that we haven't. figure out how we're going to do that. If there isn't new Midsummer to cover. If there isn't. Because when there mid- is, 
Record scratch. Everything stops. It's midsummer time. It's midsummer time. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Until then. Bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. Yep. Ready? Yep. Ready? Yep. Five, four, three, two.